0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Long Live Third Parties Podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc., a third party's books publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Greetings, Dave. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. This is Andrew. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Okay. Nice to meet you. Greetings from New York City, where you can hear the sirens in the background. Oh no. <laughs> they are they're subsiding. Good. Great. Well, thanks Friends. for this oppor- opportunity, opportunity to go out on the air or uh, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, we're glad to have you today. Friends, today we have the Freedom Socialist Party speaking to us. We have a Dave Schmock. Is that how you pronounce the name?
1: That's good enough, Schmuck. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, excellent. So let's get started by giving an introduction to yourself and how your life led your, led you to the Freedom Socialist Party?
1: Well, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, I kind of grew up in a liberal uh, household, I would say, um, kind of a peacenik household um, and vaguely religious um, at that. Um, and I moved to New York City in 1987 and went to but wasn't um, connected to any particular organization. Um went to anti-war things and um, you know, the usual uh, demonstrations. And at some point during the Clinton administration, I became so sick of the uh, the situation with Iraq and the and the incessant um, and endless bombings of Iraq that I uh, was moved to join the International Socialist Organization, which I stayed with for a few years. And um I left the uh, I left the ISO and uh, probably more than 15 years ago I joined the freedom Socialist Party because I was drawn to its program both of socialist feminism and one of its core one of our core, um, theoretical contributions to the Marxist tradition, which we call revolutionary integration and that is um, well we can talk about that a little bit when we get to it. So does that tell you enough about me? Sure.
0: Yeah, that's a good background. So kindly explain history of the Freedom Socialist Party.
1: Well, let's see. How far do we go back? The Freedom Socialist Party has its roots in the... uh, well, it goes back to the uh, early and mid-60s um, as a party, but the roots are directly, you know, come from the Marxist tradition through the Russian Revolution and the contributions of Leon Trotsky and um, uh, influence the United States through the Socialist Workers' Party, which was founded in 1938. And as you probably know from your third party podcast has many different, um, many different brands. In other words, from 1938, there's been a series of splits, and that is different groups trying to uh, get the ideas right that um, everybody at one point agreed on. But um, things happen and people have different ideas, contributions and therefore different organizations uh, come about. And the Freedom Socialist Party um, uh, came about in the early 60s, largely because of the upsurge during the civil rights movement and what uh, other socialist parties, including the SWP in particular, the SWP, Freedom Socialist Party comes from, uh, the position that the SWP was taking with regard to um, black liberation, um, liberation of black people, And um, whether it was going to be, you know, one, uh, whether it was going to be a policy of following one or another black leader, or if it was going to be figuring out um, what history said would be the correct history and circumstances said would be, say would be the right path forward, or if it was going to be um, uh, an orientation um, towards separatism. Or integration and um, our contribution was to actually break with the SWP on this question and then um, and then provide for the world this um, this grounding of the question in what we call revolutionary integration which is a thorough really a thorough working out of the history and the circumstances of black liberation and um, clearly coming down uh, on the side of the conclusion that in the United States, which is a special situation in the
0: So you were saying the United States, because of the United States position in the
1: world? Uh, the United States position in the world. I'm sorry, back up a little more. I'm not quite sure where I was. <laughs> okay,
0: History of the Freedom Socialist Party. You're talking about the the civil rights movement in the '60s, and then you were mentioning how something right.
1: about the right, work. Well, right. Well, the uh, the civil rights, the Freedom Socialist Party comes out of the uh, time of the civil rights movement in the '60s, and um, it we split with the Socialist Workers Party over the question of how black liberation was going to be achieved in this country, and um, our contribution. To um, to this question is uh, a theory called revolutionary integration, which was worked out in two separate documents, one in 1963 um, and one in 1982. And um, this was a thoroughly researched and um, and thought about um, study as to whether um, whether black people, number one, were a nation that should separate, which was, as you know, a minority, um, opinion within the black community at very, very, um, in this country's history or whether, um, integration was the primary thrust of, uh, of history, um, of black Americans in this country. So I think what I was saying was that that's one of our major contributions to, to, um, Mar- world Marxism actually, um, as it pertains to the American situation, which is unique in its, in its own way in terms of um, um, the liberation of people of color. But I also wanted to say that our other contribution is that of socialist feminism. And we are we are the only party in this country um, which considers itself or has called itself from the beginning, socialist feminist. We have elevated to a programmatic um, level, the necessity of women's leadership, working class women's leadership, um, if there is going to be a successful socialist um, revolution. And this this is quite different from, you know, the feminism that people eschew, or especially people on the left um, put aside um, as being invalid. And that is, you know, uh, they call it bourgeois feminism or whatever. Of um, and, and Hillary Clinton and whoever else gets put into the forefront of, look, see what women can do, you know, or Kamala Harris as one of the latest examples, you know, if he can do it, everybody can do it. Well, that's, um, that's a little different than, that's a lot different than what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that in the forefront of every upsurge for democratic rights, basic democratic rights um, um, around the world, women are at the forefront um, of these struggles, and that's what we call um, feminism uh, that's incorporated into socialist feminist will not be, there cannot be uh, anything else is utopian. In other words, you know, all of the things that have gone before that were all led by men, uh, that, that's not going to liberate women, um, just as, you know, class has to liberate itself. Um, women have to be in the forefront of of any revolutionary yeah. are that's what revolution that's what socialist feminism is the fact that they they are
0: that gives us a good background of your party so kindly expand upon the what the history gave to the party as to what your platform entails
1: well our platform you're using electoral language now, which is very interesting. Um, I'll give you a little history of what we do and how we orient towards um, elections. We think it's very important since um, most people understand the electoral arena to be where change uh, happens, or at least that's the idea that change happens in the electoral arena. We know that that's uh, fortunately but instead of abstaining as a very small socialist party from the electoral arena, we not only um, encourage people to vote for socialists, um, which we did in the last election. We asked we encouraged people um, we suggested that if they cast a vote at all in the presidential election that they, they cast it for the socialist uh, for the socialist action candidate whose name was Jeff Mackler at that point. Um, as opposed to um, and um, we also support other third party candidates as long as they are anti-capitalist um, socialist candidates and um, their program doesn't veer in any um, egregious way with a, um, a socialist internationalist anti-capitalist program so the, just to say that there was a candidate um, a few years ago for York and she was running as the party of socialism and liberation candidate and we supported her campaign. That being said, I'll tell you that we in 2012 ran what we called an unmillionaire campaign. We ran our own Stephen Durham and Christina Lopez for president and vice president. And we do this as a way to get out and talk about the electoral process with people in the street. Um, We don't necessarily have illusions (laughs) of winning um, the presidency, because if we did, that would present a whole bunch of different problems, wouldn't it? But we get out there because it's where people are, it's what they're thinking about, and it's an opportunity to talk about socialist feminism and um, the role of elections and what democracy would really look like and so on and so forth. One other thing I'll tell you about is a 2005 campaign we ran in Seattle, which is where we actually have a majority of our members at this point. Um, and our own Linda Averill, who's a public uh, public employee, a transportation employee, bus driver, ran for the city council of Seattle in 2005, and she. Um, got 18% of the vote, which included um, endorsements from several labor organizations and people in, in Seattle who thought her platform, which is what you asked me about, uh, was something that they could support. And uh, back then, if I remember correctly, one of her planks was, of course, tax the rich because Seattle is the home of Boeing and I don't know, is it Microsoft or some other heavy hitters? And uh, we all know that they don't pay their fair amount of taxes. And Linda was talking about how things could be different if they were made to pay um, their taxes. So tax the rich was one. She also had um, way back then in 2005, she had a plank in her platform for a $17 minimum wage. And um, she was also talking about the need, the necessity of rent control for working, working people. Because rents um, have been, as they are in most urban areas, rents have been a terrible, a terrible um, burden on working class people who aren't, as we know, seventeen dollars an hour. So that's a little bit of the platform that uh, you know Linda ran on, and that Stephen and Christina ran on um, in the presidential campaign in two thousand twelve. Just one more thing is that in our newspaper, the Freedom Socialist, which which comes out um, every two months and is available at socialism.com. And you can got that URL if you want. <laughs>
0: sure, yeah, that'll be <laughs> it, interesting. How'd you get it? Get it,
1: get in, get in early and often. That's it. There's no trick to it. But just to see, yeah. issue of our paper, almost every issue of our paper, there's something we call our 10 point program for working-class survival or Robin Hood program. Um, and that kind of lays out um, what we're about, you know, from internationalism to taxing the rich to um, to um, women's rights and so on and so on. So you've
0: touched on this some in our conversation, how you differentiate between yourself and other socialist or communist parties out there you mentioned the split from the swp and it seems like maybe your emphasis on feminism would be part of it how would you describe how you differ from other socialist or communist parties
1: right well as i said before um the the real programmatic differences or the most uh, important ones are both our our um our theoretical contribution on revolutionary integration, so that is the importance of um, Black leadership um, towards the towards an American so, uh, socialist revolution in the United States, and then also similarly, quite similarly, the importance of women's leadership for the same uh, purpose for the liberation of women and the liberation of of the world. Because when when women and people of color Um, fight for their rights. They fight for everybody. Um, They pull everybody along for, um, I hope, fairly obvious reasons, the positions they have in society. Now, you asked me about other socialist uh, organizations. I don't want to speak too much uh, for or against other socialist organizations. We do have some differences, and we actually give critical support when we um, endorse a candidate as I said we did in the last presidential election. Um, there are some things uh, that we probably don't agree with. Some some of them are national, some of them are, are international. In other words, um, what one socialist party might say about Assad or about Cuba or about um, any other number of things happening in the world might not be the same thing that we would say. Um, as far as you mentioned socialism and communism are communists now the communist party in the united states uh was founded in 1919 right after the uh russian revolution and has a very interesting uh illustrious and um and i would say checkered history so you have for instance um all of the all of the uh examples of labor struggles that were supported by the Communist Party of the USA, or even more importantly, something like the Scottsboro um, trial in the 30s, which was really headed by the Communist Party and, and um, lawyers that they provided for, for the trial um, which basically saved, saved the lives of the Scottsboro, so-called Scottsboro boys. However, um, during World War II, um, uh, a major change took place with the Communist Party, and it um, basically hitched its its wagon to the Soviet Union for all intents and purposes, and because of, you know, we can talk about all kinds of things, because of popular frontism, which was in a sense a combination of a coalescing of liberal liberal forces in this country, communists, labor forces, um, some cultural forces and political forces where um, common cause was made with the Soviet Union and um, the Communist Party of the USA at that point didn't um, allow any criticism of the Soviet Union which at that point had been consolidated as we know. Under the leadership of Stalin, there were the uh, the trials of all the old Bolsheviks who were all assassinated um, in the late 30s. Then there's World War II. And um, the idea was that we cannot criticize the Soviet Union because we need to make common causes to defeat fascism. That being said, since that time, the Communist Party um, lost its revolutionary um, revolutionary essence, whatever it had, um, and has since the presidency of Franklin uh, encouraged all of their members and everybody through their public democratic party candidates, which is something that we completely, um, disagree with. So I hope that tells you a little something about the difference, um, between, between us and some other parties or tendencies or political trends in the u.s
0: sure yeah that's definitely a good overview of that i i have a follow-up to that since you mentioned the democratic party Mm -hmm. so how do you view the democratic party especially given that there's a a so-called progressive element these days how do you perceive the democratic party from the viewpoint of your party
1: well, the Democratic Party is um, just like the Republican Party bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical companies, the health insurance lobby, which is why we cannot get a um, universal health care uh, bill passed or and also why we can't get $15 national minimum wage passed. And it's also for by the by the uh, military interests so that even under the presidency of joe biden you'll see that 700 odd billion dollars i think it was close to 800 billion odd dollars for the military budget wasn't enough they needed to give another 30 billion nobody can even comprehend these uh these um these huge numbers uh much less actually understand what that money could do if it were put to to, um, to human purposes. Um, I think people can sort of imagine, but, uh, this has gone on so long that it's, that it's almost beyond comprehension. The military has always been with us and it always will be and so on and so forth. Um, but the, the, uh, two parties, how I see the, how I see the democratic party, the Republican party, um, is the party that's, um, owned and bought by all of those, those, um, Those interests and the Democrats are owned by the same interests, but they will kind of say, we feel your pain and they will allow some dog and pony um, uh, charades to go, on. for instance, with Bernie Sanders and DSA entering. However, when it looks like they just might get something done, um, all of the forces of the Democratic machine come down on them, uh, come to bear. As we saw in two conventions, they iced out Bernie Sanders and um, his followers. And then Bernie's role was to wave his finger at everybody the last time and say, no, 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 we made a deal. If I wasn't the candidate, you would vote for Hillary Clinton. And this time he said, no, 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 we made a deal and wagged his finger at everybody and said, no, you have to uh, vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think that, uh, as you say, uh, progressive elements are going to make much headway in the Democratic Party. And that being said, I really think that it's incumbent upon people like Bernie Sanders, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and anybody else you might care to name, to completely separate themselves from the uh, Democratic Party and run as independents. They need to start. Uh, or participate in some kind of labor party organizing with um, organizing with labor, labor, which desperately needs to be um, uh, supported and rebuilt in this country. It was a great day when the when the teachers went on strike in West Virginia. You never know where these things are going to flare up. And yet, in the end, what happens? Everybody's encouraged to vote for Democratic candidates, uh, who, when they get elected, say, "Okay, we got this now." Um, there's no need uh, to stay in the streets or cause any trouble. You can all go back home now. We got it and we'll take care of it, which they never do. And what the um, the actual trend is over the past several decades is um, they can completely take uh, any, um, any progressive vote for granted because they can always point to the other guy and say, look how bad he is. Look how bad Trump is. You can't possibly vote for him. You have to vote for us and this is the lesser evil argument and it has worked um to a point but the the um consequence is that there's this, been this complete rightward rightward movement of the democratic party so that they don't have to make any promises at all or actually get anything progressive done and that's where we are today and i'm not in the business of making predictions but it's quite possible that be- that because of this back and forth that we experience um, between the Republicans and the Democrats, but with the Democrats moving increasingly rightward, that we could very likely get somebody even worse than Trump in the next um, in the next election because people are just absolutely um, fed up with the um, fact that so many promises are made or no promises are even made and things don't change. So. So that's just a little bit about the Democratic Party. We tell people that um, that there is no no wisdom in trying to be an insurgency inside a a party that's completely um, beholden to corporate interests. And um, actually, I mean, look at the most recent example. So Nina Turner wants to. um, Is it Cincinnati? Correct me if I'm wrong. Cincinnati, Ohio. Nina Turner is running for a seat in the House of Representatives in Cincinnati. All of the, all of the um, traditional Democratic Party machine uh, forces are coming down hard to oppose her and support um, another um, woman of color who is a traditional Democratic Party who um, they think they can keep in line and who won't cause too much trouble. Nina, Nina Turner, of course, is someone from the Bernie Sanders campaign. And they're just a little bit afraid that she might get something done. And um, they are so beholden to the status quo and the idea that um, real change cannot happen because it would shake up the seats um, that they sit on, that they actually come down as they did with Bernie, as they do with whoever, and, um, and they will support somebody who isn't even, you know, centrist, they support people who are actually pretty darn right wing. I mean, how can you, (laughs) you'll have to stop me. Um, How can a party is having any co cohesiveness when there are people like Joe Manchin in it, you know, or um, even people like uh, Nancy Pelosi, a lot of talk, you know, somebody who has a personal fortune of a hundred million dollars has no idea what ordinary people are going, going through on a daily basis um, and um, and so on and so forth. So anyway, I don't think the Democratic Party is reformable. I don't think that uh, the insurgent so-called forces are going to get very far and I would certainly never encourage anybody to vote for them. How's that? I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> that that sounds good. Yeah, we don't want people voting for the Democratic Party. Well, and that's why we need, yes, and your whole thing is about third parties, is it not? Exactly. And that's why we participate in the electoral arena, either um, suggesting, uh, you know, a choice, uh, a um, an internationalist, one with an internationalist perspective or program, because you cannot find a mainstream uh, candidate on the ballot who is not an America first candidate. It's always America first. It's always, you know, we have to have a bigger economy than China. It's always our military has to be number one. It's always uh by American, you know, um, and so on. So we want to offer people uh, the opportunity to vote for something that is, you know, internationalist um, looking towards uh, a human A human society, which would be based instead of on uh, competition, which it is at all levels. And it's breaking down uh, uh, instead on uh, on international cooperation. That's it in a nutshell. You know, it's about either we're going to have a world system that cooperates to save the possibility of human life on this planet or we're not. And capitalism is not going to. There's no possibility in my mind. Capitalism, in any way, is going to be um, changed um, in any way to do what's necessary to keep the planet hospitable for future generations of human beings. I mean, I just see it going over over a cliff, and it it seems like every day there's something it just shows how rapidly. Um, This is happening, and the only way to slow it, stop it, reverse it, if it is possible, is through international, um, you know, socialist um, cooperation. So it's going to be a a massive task we have. (laughs) What recommendations do you have? What book recommendations? Well, I can tell you that... um, that we are, that the Freedom Socialist Party is going to have a study group, which will be available in person at our hall in Harlem, New York City, or by Zoom, and we're going to be starting that. I wish I could tell you exactly when, but you're uh, socialism.com, and there'll be a link for the New York branch. You can give people my email address, or for that matter, my telephone number, and people can text me. And we're going to be doing a study group on our own book, which I recommend, which is called Revolutionary Integration. The two documents I talked about. It's called the Marxist analysis of African American liberation, and it does end in the '80s. So there's much more to talk about, um, you know, coming up to the present time. It kind of ends with the Reagan reversals of a lot of things that had taken place in the mid '50s, '60s, and '70s. That's one book I would recommend. Another very entertaining and extremely informative. Uh, book is a collection of very short pieces, which originally appeared mostly in our newspaper, The Freedom Socialist, um, by one of our founding members. And her name was Clara Frazier. She was from New York City. Um, And it's called Revolution She Wrote. And it covers all kinds of topics from basic Marxism philosophy to um, book reviews, uh film reviews and um just socialist feminism and um and uh socialism in general wonderful book revolution she wrote i think all of these things are well they're available from our own imprimatur which is red letter press in seattle and there's a website red letter press and we have books on uh all kinds of other things um, including some pamphlets, you know, on uh, the life of Leon Trotsky, some further afield things. There's one on uh, Lyndon LaRouche, the meaning of LaRouche, which is extremely interesting, and other things that you'll find there. So those are my two recommendations, revolutionary integration, uh, and revolution she wrote, both from Red Letter Press, available from Freedom Socialist Party. Excellent. If we, How much time do we have left? We got
0: time to speak about what you want to speak about. I suppose as long as my cell phone is,
1: the battery's still running and we can talk. Okay. Three or four minutes then, right, on, on current uh, activities here in New York City. Go for it. Okay. So for the past five years, we comrades of the Freedom Socialist Party have been involved in a, in a, um, a campaign, so to speak, for an elected civilian review board here in New York City. Um, It might sound like uh, something new. It is not. It is a continuation of a tradition of uh, um, efforts that have taken place in several cities around the country to try to get some real police accountability, um, which has never really been a reality. It's always been about police policing themselves. And then once in a while, something really blows up, whether it's Rodney King or uh, Amadou Diallo or George Floyd. And then all of the uh, forces of officialdom come out of haystack and say, oh, we really need to do something. There must be some some racist uh, behavior on the part of the police or whatever, um, something that everybody knows and something they don't really want to change, but they have to make a good showing of it. So what we have in New York City is something called the um, Civilian Complaint Review Board, which is an elected board which takes complaints about the police officers and... Um, Uh, has a very poor record of doing anything. And the big part of that is because they only have the power to make recommendations. The police commissioner in New York City actually has the final say about what's going to uh, happen in any given uh, case involving police um, accountability. So we, uh, following many efforts um, historically through the decades um, around the country, started five years ago, something we called an elected civilian review board, which is based on that civilian complaint review board. However, it's game changing in the sense that it provides for three major changes. Number one is that the board would be elected, not appointed, would be elected from, from the city council district here in New York, um, 20 some people total. A little bit of extra weight given to uh, districts with the most um, the most um, complaints against the police. And not um, not appointed. Number two is that it is empowered to make decisions that are binding. And this is this is, of course, contentious because it necessarily takes power away from the police commissioner and puts it in the hands of this elected board. So. Uh, we've done a lot of homework. I said we've been working for five years on this, and um, and we know we think we know our stuff as well as um, any legal legal people. But as you know, all of these things that are contentious end up in court anyway, and need to be adjudicated. So we'll see where that goes. And the third part of our legislation provides for an independent prosecutor for criminal cases. Now the district attorney in New York City is in charge of those criminal cases. And they take too long. They often don't um, uh, reach the desired result in the eyes of the community. Um, And uh, the police, uh, the DA has a long history of working very closely with the police department. So we've provided for an independent prosecutor for, for criminal cases. And lastly, I'll just tell you that this has after five years, our campaign for an elected civilian review board has morphed into or has become an actual bill, which is sitting in the city council now and is going to be uh, debated and so forth. And it's complicated because certain people term out people who are supporting it are terming out, and we need more people to pick it up and support it. There are 51 Uh, City Council members in New York, we'd like them all to support it, but we know that's probably not going to happen unless there's a fantastic upsurge in, uh, you know, what goes on in the the city at large or the world at large. Um, So we have a lot of work to do. And it is City Council Bill 2245. And everybody should know about it. It's called the Community Power Act. It provides for these three points that I mentioned for an elected, empowered, uh, review board for police accountability that, with uh, with a independent prosecutor and um, the Community Power Act is Bill number two two four five New York City Council and we're going to do everything we can to promote it and get people to support it.
0: So listeners out there, if they want to help getting this bill passed, should they contact the City
1: Council in? New York, if they live there, or maybe they, they don't live there? They should actually get involved with the, uh, the, the um, Community Power Act, the Campaign for an Elected Civilian Review Board, which you'll find on Facebook. There's a nice Facebook page. I think you could just Google Campaign for an Elected Civilian Review Board, New York City, and um, you would get there. Uh, there's, also a, there's also a website, Stop Police Violence NYC, and people can uh, we we do need uh, contributions for the uh, for the um, community power act. Um, most of it goes to um, um, native uh, help we get just keeping you know the lists the lists uh, up to date, um, making sure people know what uh, what's going on and are updated. And we also have to print materials. We're you know very low budget operation but if people can even you know donate five dollars a month through one of those services the venmo or whatever the whatever it is um we very much appreciate that we need to print up brochures we have posters that we take to various um public uh demonstrations and press conferences and everything costs costs something so that would be that would be very helpful if you put the word out so it's a it's um Community Power Act or Elected Civilian Review Board uh, New York City and Stop Police Violence NYC. One way or another people will find it. There was a huge upsurge for one month during the George Floyd um, protests where people found on uh, GoFundMe and that was very, uh, that was really great. You know, it's just the potential is um, if that type of and support and, um, outrage, quite frankly, could be sustained. Um, unfortunately it normally it, as things go dissipates and the democratic party candidates have a lot of, uh, democratic party politicians have a lot to, um, a lot of responsibility for that. As I said before, they always put themselves in a position to say, okay, we got this. You can all go home now. And the only way for these things to be sustained is you and I know, Is for people to stay in the streets. Sounds great. Sounds great. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We're
0: glad to have you on. We wish you all the best in that campaign you just talked about, as well as all your other endeavors.
1: Thank you. And the same to you. who hears this wants to come to our our study group for revolutionary integration or anything else. Thanks a lot, Andrew.
0: Have a great day, thank you. You too.